of what is needed and material for this warfare. And um, other countries are doing so too. Um, so is it just my impression that um, uh, that in Germany or Germany is being criticized alone for not sending so much or um, are other uh, countries also being um, accused and um, and uh, demanded more weapons from like like it is here you, you understand what I'm trying to say uh, yes ma'am that's a question for Axel <laughs> Axel please go ahead yeah. Well, everybody by his or her means, Germany is still the strongest economy in Europe by sheer per capita, by, yes, you can make make up different ratios. You could say that <clears throat> the GDP per capita in Luxembourg is higher. Sure, of course, but Luxembourg does not have the industry. Um, it has a different industry. Financial services purely and uh, simply. And that's fine. But Germany is the strongest overall integrated uh, um, economy in Europe. Germany, with uh, close to 83 million people, has a service and manufacturing capacity, which is unsurpassed in Europe. Germany does have uh, pretty much on par with the French, um, the single largest weapons manufacturing industry, if not the largest, integrated all across its, its subsidiaries across Europe. So the, don't forget, European integration works exceptionally well. French, German, British companies are working all across Europe, compete with each other, work in alliances with each other. But Germany and German, German manufacturers are a very vital, integral and large part of this. The German defense industry stated within three days after the invasion, close to 280 addresses, so to say, were asked by the Minister of Defense at that time for their input, whilst the German industry had already volunteered its input and stated that they are willing to deliver X, Y, and Z, a vast list of items, a deeply filled list of spare support, ammunition, the likes, kit, as we would call it, from all angles of relevant ammunition and weapon systems, platforms, rifles, protective gear, the likes. Germany and France have been for eight years running the single biggest as, a, <laughs> as an entity together, the single biggest suppliers of Russia. I mean, France leading a little bit by volume, Germany probably by items, doesn't really matter. They were the major weapon suppliers of Russia for eight years running. So come to think of it, not only the single largest economy, not only one of the vast, say, suppliers of export licensed weapons, but also previously for eight years engaged in sponsoring the post-2008 army reform and the supplies of material spare parts and the likes of the Russian army there comes a certain amount of responsibility. Germany is a NATO member, a valued NATO member, despite the diminishing size of the German army. So yes, everybody knew that its inventory just for its armed forces is, shall we say, challenged. 
if not outright impaired. Everybody's seen this. Germany has been warned about it. Germany has failed to comply with the requirement to keep up with its minimum spending within NATO. It has been admonished by its NATO members for many, many years. German governments have neatly and less elegantly uh, even challenged NATO in that regard, have disparaged their valued allies. They have specifically, out of a completely unwarranted and unmerited thanklessness and anti-Americanism structurally, opposed American guidance that they should be doing something differently. And this is not something which comes out of the Trump years. No, 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 no. This is something which is long-standing. Germany has consumed the so-called peace dividend to bolster the transition of its economy, to repay part of its problems out of the unification. Germany has essentially eaten the cake completely rather than sharing it. So, yeah, you can and see just there to... are three levels. There are three levels why Germany has failed, and that's why it is being admonished. And Germany could do better. There are substantial proposals on the table of this chancellor. And there is good reason why America, Britain, Norway, Sweden, Finland, the whole Baltics, specifically them, and Poland, and Romania, and Slovakia, and the Czech Republic, can rightfully demand Germany to act. And that's all, is, that is what is being said. That the French have failed to do it, yes, we know, but that's a different item and it's being pursued. That the Italians haven't done much yet, publicly, very important, publicly, is a different item. It's being dealt Do with. we Germans have something that uh, makes a difference that the Americans cannot deliver? That's not the right, that's not completely the right question. That is not fair. The Americans have everything which is needed technically, but you cannot ship everything and give everything which um, at that point in time, which we can do jointly. We have a joint obligation. We have failed our part so far as Germans. We are not doing enough. Okay. And yes, uh, we, that... have, we have many things which we can give. Many things. Many more like... than uh, we are saying. Please, yes, please. I'd like to point something out. Um, perhaps one of the issues with Germany, in addition to what sure that German bureaucrats and politicians uh, are very much of the idea that when required, they can reorient their uh, very capable um, uh, bureaucracy and industry. Uh, they can reorient it pretty quickly to a military footing. I, I think that Germany, Germany is supremely positioned to, if push comes to shove, and, and, and if the Russians keep pushing, which they have, uh, this could very well turn into Germany um, going back into a military powerhouse, which I think a lot of people in Europe aren't so are rightfully concerned with. But I think um, I think that's part of the reason they have been lackadaisical in many ways. I think they realize, well, if we have to, we can. You know what I mean? Now, they haven't. They're not prepared. But I don't think it would take – I think out of all the countries in the world, Germany might be one of the countries that would be able to um, close that gap pretty quickly. That's my – gut feeling. I don't know what you think of that. Maybe John can address that too. I think Americans can easily look at Germany and go, 
you know, you can step up, buddy. We know you can. You got the factories. You got the know-how. You got the technical know-how. All you need is the political will. John, did you want to address that? <laughs> you, you, we just talked about you pulling me into conversations where I'm not, not it's not my area of expertise, right? German politics, I'll, I'll leave the actual. Um, I think there are many, many countries that, yes, could do a lot more. And I think the U.S. leading that meeting with 40 nations it was, was an important aspect of the diplomatic power uh, um, with in highlighting the countries that do take risk and, and as in political risk and what they do or don't do in this moment of need in the world as in supporting Ukraine to fight for democracy. Um, I will say my personal opinion is the time is running out. So uh, I don't like seeing places like Germany um, not going full in um, personally, but you know, they have each country has their own political environment but the time is running out and I don't judge people on the past. I judge people on what they do today. Yeah, no, I wasn't addressing so much the political will of, of countries prior. I meant I was more referring to um, the kind of maybe unqualified belief I have that if required, Germany can turn its industry that around game plan and really require. Hello? Yes, I, I agree with you that they could absolutely turn their uh, military industrial base into a major aspect of this war. Yeah. That's, that's all I was getting at. Yeah, no, for sure. Capabilities there. Hey, I throw one thing really fast for him. Sorry. Uh, okay. Uh, Captain D, we have a queue here. Please raise your hand. Use the heart plus icon on the bottom right corner of your screen. Raise your hand. There is a queue, and we will get to you when it's your turn to speak. Thank you very much. Craig, go ahead. Oh, yeah, just sorry. very quickly. Um, I, I had one more uh, thing to ask. Um, um, that is, um, probably you know that beginning of this week, um, Chancellor um, Scholz um, attended a, a pacifist um, I don't know, rally or something, and he was speaking there uh, against the uh, the boo um, shouts of the people, and he said um, uh, it would be cynical to um, not uh, give the Ukrainians the uh, the possibility to defend themselves by supplying them with weapons. Have you discussed that? No, we didn't, because we already saw the result. Uh, on the one hand, he speaks in front of trade unions and says things which are ambiguous, and then he goes back to his desk and doesn't make the decisions on those seven packages which are lying right in front of him. So he, on the one hand, he portrays something as cynical, and then he acts cynically. Okay, I didn't get to follow up on that. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Eva. Uh, let's go to Craig first. Oh, uh, Eva actually brought up what I was going to bring up. I was going to bring up the, the Schultz speech talking against pacifism and uh, towards uh, sending more material, which uh, I would hope uh, slowly different than Axel would actually. We'll see. Maybe it might actually lead to a uh, better outcome with Germany supplying weapons, but you know, we'll have to see. When it, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. 
Constant pressure from the White House. Hello? All right, Captain D, go ahead, please. Hi. I'd like to bring up something I've never uh, read anywhere, and that is I think the, the Russian game plan is to acquire as much land in the Ukraine control the world's wheat supply. This is really a food war. And uh, nobody's talking about this. They're talking political this and political that. But I see Do you know why no one's talking about it? Do you know why no one's talking about it? Why? It's because it's not just a food war. That's why. Oh, that's true. But I'm saying nobody's talking about the aspect of a food war. I think, personally, we're in a bio-war. There's the virus, there's the food element, there's the money element, uh, there's the control. Things are happening on a lot of different levels around right now, and uh, everybody's focusing on one, one part of it. And I think they need to get a bigger global picture. And I appreciate you letting me talk. Thank you. I actually think we have talked about that aspect quite a bit about the grain, to be honest with you. All right, let's go to NT. Thank you. So uh, have you uh, discussed the fact that the uh, British uh, defense minister... uh, has said today in Helsinki that it's inconceivable that UK would not support Finland or Sweden if either were attacked. I mean, that's hardly surprising coming from the uh, from our gung-ho, very courageous British friends, but uh, I, I still think it's a really good signal. I ran today into a delegation um, currently visiting uh, Tallinn after having been to Helsinki and uh, there is a garden party at the British Embassy called for. I can definitely vouch for the fact that they do not mince words when it comes to their support for both Finland, Sweden, as well as the Baltics. On the contrary, they are very adamant that this is the front line in the north and it will hold. Yes, indeed. So that was my statement, or rather comment. So thank you, and I'll drop back down to listener. Yehuda or Axel, would you like to comment on this one? I'm good. All right, let's go to uh, If A Speaks. Hi, uh, good morning, everyone. I, I was just going to uh, ask, uh, was it Axel? Uh, maybe you may be able to, uh, you know, maybe give your insight on this. Uh, it, it has to do with Hungary and, uh, you know, uh, those reports uh, that I've seen uh, about Hungary not willing to go along with a full oil embargo on Russia. Uh, so I guess my question is, uh, what what are some things that 
the EU and NATO can do to uh, uh, maybe either get Hungary on board or uh, are there ways they can sanction Hungary without giving Putin, you know, without giving Putin what he wants, which, which is ultimately a division or some kind of, uh, you know, uh, yeah, a division in, in EU or NATO. Uh, is there something that can be done? So that's the question for you, Axel. And one one quick comment, one quick comment before I leave. So, uh, you know, uh, the posting by Oliver Stone uh, earlier that Fatima was talking about, I think if we're, you know, if we say winning the information space is important, uh, someone like Oliver Stone has a a pretty loud voice. Uh, He's... uh, People see him as a film director, so no wonder he can come up with uh, conjectures and make stuff up. Uh, a- anybody can do it, but him being a film director, they they know how to communicate propaganda even better, you know, than than most people. Uh, so my suggestion is, you know, uh, yeah, we don't want to use this platform to to give. Uh, Conspiracy, conspiracy theories, uh, a, a, a louder voice, but I think it's just something we can uh, get. You know, for example, like Walter, he does a really good job of uh, bringing the the, the, the the facts from a from a Ukrainian perspective as someone who's lived through and seen the real things on the ground. You know, and, and I believe we we can counter some of these narratives. Uh, because I, I would, I would uh, even quantify Oliver Stone's whole deal with, you know, that of the the, the pontiff. Even though, I, you know, I don't really like to, you know, uh, criticize uh, religious heads and figures, uh, but they have a pretty large uh, audience. And when you begin to sow doubts in people's minds, uh, that you know, those those types of stories become they start going a little bit mainstream, unfortunately, to the other direction. So uh, we know who we are here in this space. We know we're, we're supporters of Ukraine. Uh, so I think uh, we can also help by, you know, you know, bringing up and amplifying uh, the, the people that can counter, you know, people like Oliver Stone. So. Yeah. So, uh, Axel, please. Uh, sorry for the. Yeah, no, I'm going to jump list. in on your conspiracy thing before you go to Axel. Sorry, Axel. I just want to address this because it keeps coming up. Do you mind, Axel? No, of course not. Please, okay. welcome. So, I, we've, we've spoken about uh, uh, ad nauseum about Oliver Stone and types of people like him. I just want to, I want to leave some food for thought because I'm not going to convince the people nor do I really want to convince people who believe in that type of stuff. Here's, here's just a little mind, mind game, logic game here. <clears throat> the people who believe in conspiracy theories, such as the entire CIA and FBI and blah, 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 we're all out to kill JFK, or the moon landing isn't real, or, you know, pick your, you know, the world is flat. And the, the, the basis of these people's beliefs often, actually always, depends on a mass agreement by thousands and thousands of people all around the world. And that group of people have never broken 
and never, never told anyone about it, and it's not been found out. Now, all I want to do is point to anyone who's ever worked for the government. If you've actually worked for the government, and you'd and I'd look, I'd ask you to look, and you believe in conspiracy theories, look inside yourself, look inside your workplace, and you tell me if in any government organization, whether it's the military or finance or State Department or blah, 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 if you, if you think more than two people could keep a secret, I would be shocked. I would truly be shocked. You'd have, you can't possibly believe that organizations so big, you know, that no one got drunk, no one said anything to a girl at a bar who was trying to impress. Oh, by the way, we're taking over the world. <laughs> like, that's never happened in the history of the world? Come on. Um, all of these conspiracy beliefs are usually founded by people who have very little understanding of, the, of something and probably some other psychological issues, which we're not going to get into. So I always, like, when you look at Oliver Stone, people say, well, Oliver Stone, we need to debunk him. Well, do we? I mean, if Oliver Stone was to say, you know what, I think Elon Musk is a billionaire who's trying to take over the social media market, he's buying a bunch of things, and I don't like him, you know, okay, let's talk about Elon Musk, what did he buy, what did he, okay, he bought Twitter, okay, these are points, but it doesn't, it just takes a a reasonable adult to, to, to determine and ascertain where the line is, so we joke about Oliver Stone, but Oliver Stone has some very, very insidious beliefs, uh, not just about America, he has beliefs of Jewish people and Illuminati and, and, and Bilberbergs. And, and then you go to a guy named David Icke. Icke. Some people call him Icke. It's David Icke. I-C-K-E. The man was a famous footballer or soccer player. He had a mental breakdown on TV, said he was Jesus, and he wears all purple. Um, but now he's had a renaissance in the last 10 years where he's like this self-help guru. And he still... He, on his website, he's he's famous. This guy is this guy's famous. He has millions of dollars. This guy makes going on lecture tours, and he still promotes the belief that there are a group of people, read Jewish, read rich people, read Illuminati, that conduct child sacrifice. That's where a lot of this child sacrifice stuff is coming from. Now, and he believes in lizard people. The queen's a lizard. I'm part lizard. Apparently, didn't know. Didn't know. Um, are Purple we is say- a good color, though. Purple lizard. I mean, so so. I guess my point, in fact, my, I wasn't proving any of your points. I just don't want to address it. Um, we don't have to give, you can, you don't have to, and it's reasonable not to give credence to people who say, you know, bat, poop, crazy things. You can't possibly give every single person who's famous, right? There's a guy, Ice Cube, he's got some conspiracy ideas he's gotten in his head. There's some famous... Uh, entertainers and rappers who are convinced the world is flat. I don't have to fact check that. You can if you want to. No one's telling you what to do. But I wouldn't waste my time. And when Oliver Stone comes up with pie in the sky ideas, and because he's erudite and he speaks well and he's clear, doesn't make his position um, any more tenable. So I just would ask people before you even delve into conspiracy theories or delve into debunking conspiracy theories, Look at the source, you know, are they the only ones in the world who came up with this idea? Uh, you just got to be realistic. You know, I've never met an engineer who works in telecommunications. I've never seen one. I've actually looked online for them who believe the world is flat because they don't exist, right? Because that's their job. They, they work with the planet, with the earth, with the atmosphere, with communications. Low earth, low earth orbit satellites. 
Yeah, like the, these are people. So it, it just goes to show you, you know, there, 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 there. There's the nine one one truthers, and we're an organization of doctors, and all of them, like ones, none of them have to do with structural engineering. They're all like, you know, like just strange, strange things. So don't be fooled by words and and titles. Go dig into who the person is that you're talking about. Just do that before you waste your time. Find out who you're talking about. That's all. That's all I want to say because it's just we've been beating this one to death. And um, and I don't care. I know you're right. Oliver Stone is a very good propagandist, right? But, you know, you got to tell people where are you getting your information from. Real film producers, like, you know, Werner Herzog, for example, there are really good documentarians and, and producers who go to experts and have them talk, and it's not all about them. That's kind of a, a first step. Anyway, I don't want to belabor the point. Um, go ahead, Axel. I don't know if there was a response for if it speaks about Germany. Yeah, sorry, sorry, real quick. Uh, uh, just, uh, yeah, I know what Oliver Stone is. He's a piece of shit. Uh, but so, Axel, yeah, a question around Hungary, please. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll try to make this quick and simple. Hungary, uh, Hungary and the EU have had a dispute, like Poland and the EU have had a dispute. Doesn't really matter now as to why this dispute is actually there, but three things uh, public contracts conflicts of interest uh, between Viktor Orban's party and certain uh, um, say large companies as well as the potentially corrupt or indicative corrupt spending of EU funds structural funds in Hungary those were the main concerns for a long time other things then appeared on the radar screen cultural dimension I don't want to go into that however because of this, Hungary and the EU have fought uh, about the budget allocation of under the multi-annual financial framework, the MFF of the European Union. Hungary currently has uh, to receive 7 billion out of it. They may have to receive another 12 and a half out of it uh, under further facilities for climate change and whatnot, and digital transformation, you name it. A lot of budget gimmicks, a lot of good programs in it, but still a lot of budget naming and gimmicks. So there's a, st- a substantial amount of money on the table. Hungary just lost a case uh, for its uh, own approach uh, under the European Court of Justice uh, in February. And since then, Hungary is actually liable to pay penalties and the EU is freezing funds otherwise to be released. That is an important measure. You can see where this is going. All right. If you want to, and Viktor Orban's government has stated it quite clearly, if they were to be forced to move away from Russian oil, then in such instance, they would have to have a lot of money and uh, a few carve-outs, meaning they want time carve-outs. Slovakia also is a case in question, despite having no uh, such conflict with the EU. Slovakia also has a, a significant dependency and needs assistance in moving away from it. As of now, and probably until this weekend, the uh, various member uh, member states in the EU leading this charge and the EU officials and the EU Commission is negotiating with the various parties as to how to cobble together a deal. This is a classic EU make some dirty sausage deal. You don't want to be close to it, but you want to see the result of it. And the result will be almost likely that Viktor Orban's government will get certain timely carve-outs and that there will be a deal on monies however they want to then um, say put the names to this it doesn't really matter the result must be there is a overall eu sanctioned uh, position 
joint position towards Russia and towards the dependency on Russian oil and gas. And if that's the case, then we can move on forward. This may even stretch beyond the weekend, of course, as always in politics, but preferably by the weekend so that it hits Russia before May 9th. And it's all about money. All right, let's go to uh, JP, Sean, and then Fatima. Hey, Yehuda. Sorry, guys, I had my mic off. Hey, good morning, everybody, and good afternoon. And uh, let me just say happy May the 4th to any Star Wars fans out there. Um, I'm going to change the discussion a little bit and talk about a little bit of cyber activity that's been going on in Eastern Europe within the last like week or so. Um, this information was provided to me by Google's uh, Threat Analysis Group, or TAG. Um, one of the interesting things about Google, um, they have a lot of telemetry. They have a lot of data that they're getting all across the world. I mean, everybody who's using Chrome, everybody has a Gmail account. Um, anybody that uses their products, you know, I just like everyone that uses Microsoft, Google has a lot of data that they're seeing all across the world, and they take that data, and they also use it to analyze for threat activity going on in the region or in the world. And in this case, they're gonna, they highlighted some activities going on in Eastern Europe. Um, so few actors that we've, that we've observed or they, they have observed that have been targeting, of course, you have our usual Russian friends, um, APT28 or Fancy Bear. Um, this is a threat actor, cyberspace threat actor that is associated with the GRU. Recently, they had seen them targeting users in Ukraine with a new variant of malware. So these actors are still actively targeting users in, in, in Ukraine. Um, what this particular type of malware is doing is um, they're sending the users in Ukraine an attachment. And then that attachment has a, a, a zip file that when it executes or when you open it, it steals your cookies and your saved passwords from Chrome. And then, then they can reuse those credentials and then try to collect more information from you. So this is what we call in, in, in the IT cybersecurity world as a credential stealer. So that's one thing that Fancy Bear actors are doing. Another group of another Russian threat actor group known as Turla, which this one's associated with the FSB. I believe they are actors from Center 18, which are kind of their cyberspace operations and exploitation guys. Um, they've been also sending um, uh, malicious documents when open, uh, basically downloads a unique file and then basically redirects that traffic to their, their command and control domains. And that, that particular malware file seems to be uh, something to establish communications with the host. So the previous one I said, it's stealing credentials. This one is, it's compromised your computer and it's actually communicating back to their servers mm -hmm. and they're using that to conduct further operations or further activities on the said systems. Um, there's another group as well. This one's called Cold Driver. Um, this one's another Russian-based actor. We don't know what Russian organization it belongs to. We don't know if it's SVR, GRU, or FSB. We just know that it is a Russian uh, threat group. They've been targeting specifically journalists, politicians, NGOs, and defense, defense officials and think tanks, particularly from uh, Europe as well as Ukraine. Um, this one's a little basically email and then asking you to click on the link to download a PDF or a document from a Google Drive or a Microsoft OneDrive. But that uh, when you click on that document, it basically is a malicious file that's exfiltrating your data as well. Um, and then on the front as well, there's another group called Ghostwriter, and these are Belarusian threat actors, or at least some of us in the community are debating whether or not this is a Belarus threat actor, like actual Belarus operators or um, Belarus guys on computers with GRU officers behind them telling them what to do. 
but for now we kind of attribute it to Belarus because the activity has seemed to has originated from Belarus. Um, again, these guys are targeting individuals in Ukraine uh, using spear phishing emails, and then these emails contain links that lead to compromised websites where they where the victim then downloads a file and then basically their computer's compromised as well. Um, and now the last one uh, that's very interesting, this one is called Curious George, and it is a curious little monkey. Um, this is a group that's attributed to China's, um, uh, uh, I, be I believe it's Strategic Rocket Force. It's actually a Chinese APT group. They are, yeah, it's a Chinese APT group that's the People's Liberation Army Strategic Support Force. So this is kind of like when China, a few years back, they reorganized a lot of their cyber organizations because those organizations were dispersed into like different um, um, different organizations within China. Most of the computer operations or cyberspace operations conducted by China in the past were part of 3PLA. 3PLA, 3PLA and 4th PLA, those two departments kind of like went away from doing cyber operations and they all consolidated into the PLA SSF. So what's interesting with this organization in China is that they're targeting um, government, military, logistics, and manufacturing organizations in Ukraine and in Russia and in Central Asia. So it's one of those where uh, since the war kicked off, the Chinese are now kind of stealing and, and conducting uh, espionage operations on Ukraine and Russia, getting, I, I would say, uh, as much intelligence as they can from both countries to basically assess what their country, what they can do to probably improve their country in case they ever want to go into a conflict with Taiwan or any kind of future conflicts uh, beyond that. So that's all I wanted to talk about. You know, I wanted to, again, change the narrative that we've been talking about this morning to something a little bit more um, relevant to what's Ukraine. So with that, I will drop myself down to speaker. I mean, sorry, the listener. Thanks, Thanks buddy. I appreciate the input. Em, um, did you want to just touch on that before we go to Sean? No, JP uh, summarized it uh, perfectly. APT stands for Advanced Persistent Threat. That is correct. That That is very correct. Yes, APT stands for Advanced Persistent Threat. Good stuff. Thank, well. thank you, Yehuda. Thank you, JP. Yehuda. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, Lisa wanted to talk. Lisa, I, oh, Sean, sorry, it's Sean and then Lisa. Go ahead, Sean. Hi, good morning, everyone, uh, at least morning where I am. Uh, really appreciate the uh, really great information you guys provide. I tuned in earlier when the uh, uh, conspiracy stuff was on. I did some vacuuming, and I came back, and it was still going on a little bit. Uh, I, it is a vital part of warfare, though we do poo-poo it. It's been going on with uh, the Soviets and the United States since the end of World War II in, in analog fashions. Um, I don't want to uh, spend time giving examples of that, but they have, uh, and I don't know whether other nation national security services engaged in this activity. They probably did to a, a degree, but it's in the United States, uh, uh, since with the digital information, with our penetration by Russians and our elections several years ago, it's been pretty easy to see that uh, what's, what was around uh, less than 10% of the population believing in crazy stuff has now uh, grown up into the 30 percentile uh, uh, believing uh, uh, stuff. And I also think that what feeds into this, last week there were, uh, there were bombs of, uh, of uh, conspiracy stuff dropped. Uh, the um, uh, Putin has cancer, the black magic, the witches, the general that was dead, then he wasn't dead. Uh, 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 things that distract, things that eat up time, things that take people's attention away, as you guys point out. But also when you listen to this in particular, this thing in particular, you get a sense 
of what I've been interested in, and that is the penetration of information in the population and around the globe. And you can see it in these in people that call in here, uh, how uh, uh, up they are on the timeline, how behind they are on the timeline. And those things, I think, uh, uh, again, depending on the sophistication of the listener, those things, I think, play heavily into the uh, environment of conspiracy nonsense that the Russians are really, really good at. They can't really do much else, but they are fantastic liars and fantastic manipulators. Uh, the, the alcoholism, the prostitution, these are things we don't like to talk about in the West, but these are main pillars of Soviet intelligence. So I, I think it's a, it's a mistake to utterly poo-poo these things. They are a uh, I think a vital part of warfare and one that has been successfully employed for centuries. I want people to consider that. Thank you. Thanks for that. Just for the record, I didn't say I disagree with prostitution and alcohol. That's uh, that wasn't me. No, I'm just kidding. It's a horrible <laughs> thing. Uh, no, uh, very good points. Um, that is that is their that is their mo. Uh, and yeah, we we ha- I think we did cover that. We do address it, um, but you know. The things about nuclear weapons deployment or chemical weapons deployment, things where there's a gray area or in some people's mind, that's one thing. Lizard people, black magic and child worship or child sacrifice. um, That's I think I think it's fair to draw the line there. No. Well, yeah, it is for educated people. But for people who aren't educated, these things are presented in a medium where all these things are on par with one another. There's nothing in the media that sort of says lizard people are worse the nuclear physicists, you know, put yourself in the mind of an unsophisticated person in the backwater of various countries. This is who, this is the mindset that Putin is playing for. This is the mindset that elected Trump in the United States. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure that, that the Borat figure is really representative of most of Russia. I just think, I, I think that I think for sure, I agree with you on most of those points, but again, you got to draw the line. I think it's fair to draw the line at black magic. Please give me oh, that sure. one. Please. Oh, sure. Okay. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> it is a glorious day. Glorious day. Thanks for that. No, very good points. Um, and I'm sorry, Lisa had her hand up. And leprechauns. And leprechauns. And they're all around. Uh, who had their hand up next? Linda. So, hang on, everyone. Uh, Fatima, okay, go ahead. Yeah, it was me. Actually, I've got, um, you know, tons of uh, messages after I spoke. Um, so I just wanted to make, uh, and that convinced me that this is an important topic. So I very much respect uh, that you guys are uh, experts and professionals in convenient uh, warfare. I'm a professional in journalism. There is conventional, a- conventional warfare. Yeah. Because warfare is not really convenient because it ends up in killing human beings. But (laughs) yeah, sorry, Uh, my mistake. I take it. Again, conventional. Conventional. Okay, that sounds like you're being sarcastic. Let's move on. We got it. Warfare. Warfare. Okay, so no, not just warfare. Uh, I'm going to make my point very soon. The guy before me spoke um, not before me but before him also spoke about cyber attacks so there is one field that connects us all it's called hybrid hybrid warfare hybrid warfare as deployed in the cyber domain 
part of a digital humanities discipline. Yes, Fatima, please yes, go ahead. And disinformation too. Information warfare. That is what is digital humanities is. Hybrid, hybrid warfare. Hybrid warfare is a mixed discipline of combining special operations, covert intelligence operations, cyber operations as offensive information operations against a targeted population using certain themes that strike at socioeconomic, sociopolitical, socioreligious fault lines. This is the definition of hybrid warfare. Hybrid warfare as exercised in the cyber domain is usually offensive information operations hitting at those fault lines and leveraging the lack of understanding and the lack of expert knowledge on those topics. But carry on, Fatima. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So there is a field where we interact and we fight each of us our own battles. It should not be that. That's why I actually, you know, try speaking in this space, try to inject that point here. I appreciate very much everything you do. And maybe this wasn't the right platform to speak about the disinformation topics that Russia is trying to promote or the agents who are helping Russia to promote that disinformation. And this is the, you know, the, 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 the exact case of, um, Exporting information and importing it back. Uh, What Oliver Stone or whoever that might be said is exactly what a week before him was said by Lavrov, uh, Russian foreign minister. So uh, it's an interesting case. It's a case that that needs to be addressed. And it's my war. So I appreciate you understanding that. Okay, great. We're going to move past. I'd like to not hear the name Oliver Stone. Uh, Moving forward, we're going to move to Ukraine and the important uh, events of the next uh, 12 hours, which isn't really much uh, has to do with the Mariupol offensive and the Izium access thrust south. Um, to try to uh, encircle Ukrainian forces. Um, please, if you have a question about Oliver Stone, go to his Twitter timeline or something. We're done for the day. And conspiracy theories are, I think we've, we've conspired enough about conspiracies. So let's move right along. Um, I think Jing had his hand up, then Lisa, or Axel, sorry, he had his hand up first. Go ahead, Axel. Yeah, I was just wondering, uh, I've been seeing this earlier today, and that's quite funny that, there is currently seemingly a proposal on the table, which uh, is probably also going to stretch to France to supply uh, armored personal vehicles, uh, armored ambulances from both Germany as well as France and other nations. And that is seemingly being floated at the moment. If somebody has any kind of further information, I'd be delighted to hear of it because I'm currently collecting um, data for it because we would like to make a suggestion to a number of parties. And I think it's a very important feature. And uh, Walter, maybe you can talk a little bit about how the field hospitals, respectively, the the capacity of field hospitals and uh, combat medics in the Ukraine armed forces are currently utilized. Because my understanding was that they really need a lot more support, which is why, for example, Maria Aid is also collecting money for that. Yeah, it differs because it's changed during the the 
the new offensive. So just uh, three months ago, it was concentrated specifically in a couple of cities in the JFO area, specifically Bakhmut at the large um, military slash civilian hospital. And since 2014, uh, the evacuation was organized in such a way that Dnipro city became the, the main point of specialized care and the delivery of specialized care. So essentially, the level two hospitals were in around Bakhmut and that area. Well, if we were talking about JFO in the north, in the south, it was a different city. And and then the level three was in Dnipro, was a specialized care and uh, Machnikova hospital, which essentially carried the burden of war. And after uh, after level three, they might have been transported and were transported or evacuated by uh, uh, via airplanes to distant distant hospitals regarding the front line, like in Kiev and uh, in Lviv, military hospitals. Right now, it's different, of course, because the front lines shifted, and uh, the involvement of civilian medics also shifted significantly. For example, if you recall, we had uh, Igor from Kyiv, essentially, who's with Aerorozvitka and fought northwest of Kyiv, corrected artillery fire, essentially. And he received a wound and he was treated in a civilian hospital, which just became uh, a point of of, uh, of care or primary care slash secondary care and even tertiary care just because of the front line, which was encroaching upon Kyiv. So again, it it reshuffled greatly, and uh, at, at, at its situation also is fluid right now. Uh, there were significant lows in terms of medical supplies in the frontline areas north of Kiev and even in western Ukraine. Right now, it's mitigated and assuaged regarding the rear areas. However, it still remains a big issue for the front lines specifically in the east, around Izum, and in the south. Uh, As for the rest of supplies, the medical supplies are an issue here. So it's like, uh, it depends where you want me to 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 kind of elaborate here because it's a it's a big 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 it's a big question and also the rest of the equipment that's on its way is still being uh, some of it's transiting some of it's on its way there some of it's already there in staging areas so that, uh, let's refine those next questions we have a new speaker uh, who hasn't raised their hand yet but I'm just going to go and ask because this person has tried to um, uh, get on quite a bit so news trinity. Um, an American in search of the truth. Oh, that's awesome. Truth is great. What's your question or comment, News? Good morning. This is Trinity. How are you doing? I'm well, and you? I'm well, thank you. Actually, uh, my questions are a little bit different. Um, I'm kind of looking to see how is Ukraine going to look for move forward successfully and succeed to end this war? Have the sanctions that Joe Biden has put in place been helpful? Have you seen the the weapons on the ground? Have they been mm-hmm. helpful in protecting the civilians of the Ukraine? Okay, I, that's four questions. I, let's I, ask, let's I, answer them for you. 
I am un- I am unclear, um, even given following um, uh, some of the Ukraine sites. Please refrain um, from using we, the Ukraine. Please refrain. Just, please refrain. Please refrain from using. Yeah, I know Yehuda. Please refrain from using the Ukraine. This is a derogatory term. You can say Ukraine without the. And have you been following what's happening on the northern front? And Yehuda is going to take it from there. Yeah, go ahead. So you had four questions so far. Do you want us to address them or do you have more questions? It's too many, though. I'm not going to remember them all. You know, you want- I just want to be positive. I don't want to be negative. I'm sorry if it came out that way. I would like to know how to move forward to end the war. Anyone who would like to chime in on that would be wonderful. Yep. Uh, so how, so the first question is, how does Ukraine move forward? How Ukraine moves forward is successfully defending itself against the Russian invasion and either inviting the Russians to leave or killing them in place, unfortunately. That seems to be the only um, solution for the Russian invasion. That's question number one. That's how they'll move forward. Um, have there been effects of equipment? Absolutely. Uh, the Ukrainians have been in receipt of tens of thousands of anti-armor weapons. They're using them to destroy Russian armor and tanks. Uh, do we see it on the ground? I see thousands of videos of it. I don't know what you see, but I see it. Um, what does Mr. Biden, President of the United States, um, have we verified the items on the ground? Yep. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I do see uh, from friends on the ground uh, in, in the logistics supply chain there uh, getting that information and, and passing it on. It's also published in every major news outlet. Um, I'm sorry, that was the third question. What was your fourth question? How can we help? Honestly, as, how you can help as, is, is as promote. Americans. As Americans, call your congressman, let them know that you support what they're doing. Uh, retweet sites like this. If you don't like Marie Aid or the Walter Report, <laughs> there, are plenty of, there are plenty of other organizations. There's uh, uh, the, the government of Ukraine, the Ministry of Defense, Come Back Alive. There are several, several really well-known organizations. We're not the only uh, uh, you know, uh, show in this town. Uh, we, we do what we do because we've worked with Ukrainians and we trust them and we know what they need because they tell us and we've raised money and we bought those things and shipped it there and we all work for free and we're all uh, volunteers. So I hope that answers your question. And, uh, it does. And may awesome. I thank you for helping me learn how this is my third podcast. And may God, bless, may God bless you and your families. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thanks so much, Trinity, and thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, we're going to go over to Lisa. Go ahead, Lisa. Did you mean Linda? That's exactly what I said. You just misheard me, Linda. I'm just kidding. I said Lisa. My bad. Go ahead. <laughs> Linda, I, go ahead. I, I made a mistake. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I had my phone, um, my mic off. Um, um, sorry. Um, I, I, prob- I might um, irritate you a little bit, but I try to make it really fast. Uh, I need to circle back because I think it's really important. Um, and that, I, I mean... Basically, I'm begging you guys um, going forth uh, to not entertain uh, discussions about conspiracy theories, lies, etc. And there's a reason for that. Um, So I need to highly recommend that everybody um, that's going to be speaking in this room, etc. with any regularity, read the book by George Lakoff. 
the title of the book is um, uh, don't um, ah, don't what is it don't speak of an elephant um, and uh, he's a linguist and a cognitive psychology and I'm hoping that Tom uh, it looks like Tom has left the room dang it because I wanted Tom to chime in because he would know he would know George Lakoff, he would know the book. Oh, it's Don't Think of an Elephant. The reason is, you guys are absolutely superb. You guys know Ukraine. You know military stuff. You know uh, intelligence community stuff. You got you have people on it, you know, foreign policy stuff like that. You, however, are not um, brain scientists um, or uh, no, you, you haven't been trained in cognition, et cetera, et cetera. This is outside of your wheelhouse. And the point that I'm trying to make, and that's why I'm really encouraging you to take this seriously and maybe read the book. If you do, he's on Google. You can listen to the gist of the book on YouTube, George Lakoff, L-A-K-O-F-F. Don't think of an elephant. The reason is that when you repeat a lie or a conspiracy um, you establish that in the hearer's brain. You, you instantiate a mental frame. And so when you say um, this blah, 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 lie is not true, you have now established that lie in that listener's brain. And you have now um, done the opposite of what you intend to do. Same thing with uh, conspiracy theories. The reason that he named the book Don't Think of an Elephant is that when you tell somebody, do not think of an elephant, they are physically incapable of not thinking of an elephant. That's the reason for the book. So I'm begging of you to cut off any kind of um, conversation that is, you know, even though they're trying to negate it or they're asking questions about it, it is establishing that lie and or that conspiracy theory in people's brains which is it's actually a psyops technique. So anyway, I wish that Tom were still here because I really wanted him to follow me up because I know that he must know about what he has to know about Lakoff. He's written yeah. many books, etc. So anyway, I'll leave it at there. Yeah, so we'll, we'll wait for him to come back for sure. And we'll ask him when he's there. Yeah, I, I would really appreciate it. Yeah, 100%. you guys are superb in the stuff that you know about. But as soon as you start getting into, the, you know, the, the mental thinking of Putin or the Russian public and everything, now you're in the area of um, psychology um, and uh, opinion manufacturing, et cetera, which is not your wheelhouse. And you need yeah, to no, we, we don't, we don't, those. We actually don't do that. We don't ever. Yeah, I, I, yeah it's exactly. never. I mean, I think anyone on the panel, I think the first thing we say is, especially M. Uh, we don't we don't engage in the conjecture, just meaningless yes. and pointless. And no one here, even if we were doctors, uh, it would make no difference if we were clinical yeah. psychologists. We've never, no one's ever evaluated him in person, and we can't talk about it. It's just conjecture. Yeah, yeah and, um, and you get your expertise is superb. But well, yeah, as you. soon as people start talking, you know, and just banding about, you know, this theory, that theory, conspiracy theory, that conspiracy yeah. theory. Don't care if he has cancer. It. Don't care if he has Parkinson's. It makes exactly. no difference. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Thank uh, you. we're going to, yeah. you're welcome. We have M.R.A. Eliphas, who's a, been asking to speak for a long time. I know you had, you came in imperious, but uh, we're just going to, we're going to go to you in a second. M.R.A., um, Suspicious timeline, not going to lie. Uh, you're going to get a, a, a narrow berth here, buddy. So what is it that you'd like to say? 
MRA. Unmute your mic. Okay, MRA, you've tried to get in about 10 times right now. So do you have anything to add, a question or a comment? Never trust anyone who's wearing bad sunglasses, Yehuda. I don't know. I don't know that's a thing. Okay. So I guess, Imperius, uh, you're up. Go for it. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say that, like, while we do have to be aware for, for cognitive traps, it's a bit undangerous. It's a bit dangerous to leave uh, those conspiracy theories and and whatnot like un unchallenged. Like you know, we shouldn't give it more airtime than we have to, but we should like use all techniques that are available. Like I mean, we've we've already talked about the truth sandwich this week, I believe. Um, and and frankly, like you know, we all need the practice of of being able to respond correctly to that and i think if if we're going to be doing that anywhere like um taking advantage of this space would and like to help push for this cause our cause would be you know the best you're right on the money imperious but then again there's this very delicate question we give the mic to everyone, and I stress this, everyone here stresses this all the time. We give the mic to everyone because we don't assume that anyone who comes on is a bad faith actor until proven otherwise. And we have seen uh, several freshly minted accounts with uh, zero followers, uh, zero tweets, and they were decent people, and they had something to contribute or something to add, or a legitimate concern to uh, display. Which brings us to the question of cyber attribution. We don't want to go there. It's a rabbit hole. But then again, if someone speaks, like Socrates said when I asked you the other day, speak so that I can see you, right? When they speak, we can either deconstruct their argument, or we can completely shut them down, or we can kick them off the space. The abuse is on them. The freedom for people to come on and express their opinions and ask legitimate questions is on us. It's a challenge, and you're absolutely 100% right. Uh, and we have listeners who have been doing this for 70 days, and we want to continue to do it until Ukraine wins this war and completely repels the Russian invasion on Ukraine. It is a challenge. And we know that a lot of listeners are asking us not to engage in this anymore. But the thing is, we're not engaging in it. We don't have a crystal ball. Sometimes people come on completely anonymous and they have something to add. They have something to contribute. And sometimes people who are completely anonymous come on and they try to derail the conversation. So it's a dilemma. We've, all, we've also had people who seemed completely fine for weeks and then all of a sudden just went, like, whoa, that's weird. So it happens, right? Already. Never go full Monty. That's it. Uh, Jingu, please don't talk about Oliver Stone. Go ahead. No, I'm not going to talk about Oliver Stone. So I have just one very simple suggestion. So understand how the disinformation operates. Usually they, they, have, they are very disciplined in a way, which is what they call the meta-narrative framing. So they actually have selected topics. They focus on that and have, have people drilling, drilling it. Some people are acting out of good faith because they're confused. 
some people are being used by them. Now, one one thing I want to suggest is when we are when the the space in announcing, for example, the very effective way of 